And I'm literally going to take about 15 minutes here and just take us into Acts chapter 13 and look at the, the church in Antioch. And if you have a great memory, you might remember that I actually spoke about this in July last year. If you don't remember or you weren't here, that's all right. Um, but the church in Antioch um, was a place where there was an incredible amount of health. They were a community of people who understood at a very rapid rate what it meant to be um, a healthy expression of followers of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the, the characteristics of this community, were they were a place where they knew what the, that it was vital that they were communicating the message of Jesus to the people in their community, that they were welcoming and inviting people in, that they were making space at their tables for, pe- for new people to come in in response to hearing about Jesus. They also knew the value of being a place that um, it wasn't just about um, ascribing to a set of beliefs to follow Jesus, but it was about becoming a disciple. It was about being formed and looking like Jesus and being in a community that trained people of how to follow Jesus and how to live out, how to discover the gifting that was in them and start using it for the benefit of the church and for the community. And then they became a place where they went translocal. They started to send. They started to support needs in other places. They began to multiply what was in them in other places. And because they kept just faithfully following God, God increased what they had, and he multiplied what they were about. And that became the new epicenter. So Acts Acts 11 does this whole description, really, of what happens. But really, with the persecution that took place in Jerusalem following Stephen's death, there was this mass exodus. There was this scattering. Many of the disciples were forced to leave Jerusalem, and they ended up in different places. And Antioch was one of those places where they ended up. But yet, they took with them the very heartbeat of what they'd discovered. And you know, when you look at the people in Antioch, you're really looking at the core group of those people who were described in Acts 2. So many of you will be familiar with Acts 2, 42 to 47. There's this beautiful picture of what the early church looked like. There's this group of people who they listened to the apostles' teaching. They took it on board. They fellowshiped together. They spent time together in each other's homes. They created an inviting culture. They, they learned how to grow together. They saw many people being added to their community on a regular basis. They saw the signs and wonders, the the activity of the Holy Spirit amongst them. It's a beautiful picture, I think, of what the church is meant to look like. Anyone want to be a part of a church like that? Glad Jim's with me. I think there's something about discovering who we are that is very exciting. Sometimes we need pictures, we need illustrations, we need to catch something in our mind's eye of what God has in store for us. And literally over the next 10 minutes, I'm just going to ask you to kind of go on this uh, rapid ride with me of seeing a picture of a church. And I'm going to ask you to imagine what could that look like here? What would it look like if we did these kinds of things on a consistent basis in Oklahoma City? Totally skipped about three pages with that introduction, so there you go. Um, There's one aspect of this community that I want to spend a couple of minutes on. You know, in as I mentioned a moment ago, Acts 2, there's this description of what the church looked like. 
And one of the characteristics of the church um, was that they were a church that understood what it meant to be uh, in fellowship with one another. And Acts 13, um, I was going to read this. We're just, if you just pop it up on the screen, um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to reference this rather than take the time to read it. But there is a reference there to prophets and teachers in verse 1. And back in July, I spoke about the, the significance and the, um, the, perhaps even the unusual fact that prophets and teachers were able to get along in one place and work together for the sake of the church and how that hasn't been common in church history. But I think what I want to do here is to recognize that that's, it's an illustration of two gifts, prophetic gifting and teaching gift. But when you lift the lid on this community, there are many gifts that are, that are below the surface that are functioning around these two gifts. And you can see that in the Acts 2 passage. And so that's why I want to spend a moment on fellowship. And I really felt like God was highlighting this to me. And then I want to make a comment about worship after that, and then we'll finish. So two things that I want us just to focus in on about being a community. And this is really about formation. It's about who we are as a people. It's about who God has made us to be, and it's about how we discover that and, and work it out. So many of us would have an expectation um, and an appreciation for people who have a teaching gift, who have a prophetic gift, or have some kind of um, upfront leadership gift and see the importance of that for a community of people. But what we need to see here, and what I think is crucial, is that this group of people became who they were because they had different gifts at work under the surface, coming alongside these main gifts of prophecy and teaching. There was this appreciation for, well, let's just do this simply. There were like 3,000 people added to the church community at one point. And in different parts of Acts, you see the phrases of, and many were added to them, and their number grew daily. So just think about the logistics, and I've said this here before, but you imagine 3,000 people plunking themselves down in this building right now, or maybe not 3,000, maybe 100 people, or maybe 200. Can you imagine the implications for the community of people? Think about it for a moment. This group of people, they understood that if they didn't embrace hospitality and fellowship and friendship with one another, then this thing was not going to work. People start to do bad things to each other if they don't embrace those things. When you suddenly have 3,000 people, you're sat in my seat. What are you doing here? Why am I having to start this new group? What, you know, all of these logistics of like suddenly your space is being invaded. And we like the idea, I think, as a church of seeing the church grow because it's a sign of health. But there are practical realities to that. And there is... The reason I'm highlighting this this morning, and I want to talk about it, is that I think many of you don't necessarily appreciate the power of what it is to be a friend. You know, there is something significant about being willing to extend an invitation to somebody and to allow them to come into your home or to spend time with you or to create room in your friendship group for another person. If we want to be a church where we see people added to us and we want to grow, we also need to be a church who see, who are willing to embrace what it means to welcome in other people and to welcome people from different backgrounds. This church in Antioch was a diverse group of people. Many people came from different backgrounds. This wasn't going to be necessarily an easy thing for them. But they did that and they, they, they embraced what God was doing. So one of my questions for us this morning is this. How are you extending how are you doing at extending hospitality? Who are you inviting into friendship? 
Are you, are you aware that inviting people into friendship is a gift that transforms a group of people into a community? Think about it for a moment. How many of you have experienced this in your life where you've come into a new place and somebody has said, hey, come on over, come have dinner. Let's, let's hang out sometime. How many of you have experienced something like that when you stepped into a place? And you might remember as well how, what it feels like when you first step into a new place. Uh, we were recently uh, hosting something called Next Steps. We do this every month. It's a place where we create on a Sunday morning before the service for people who are new to come. Uh, Rod and Kathy Whitson, they host it, and usually myself or Brock will go in and be there as well. And I was in there recently and just listening to some of the, the people who are coming into the church and discovering our Lord for the first time. It's an amazing privilege. I just want to say thank you for coming and thank you for trusting us with that. But one of the things that hit me um, as they were sharing was they were just talking about, one couple was just talking in particular about some previous experiences in other places, other parts of the country where they stepped in and they really just kind of felt on the outside of things. Um, people had their groups, they had their friendships, and it was really hard for them to feel a part of that community. And it reminded me again of the importance of being a people who extend the invitation, that we want to be that way. We've hosted two Alpha courses with adults in the last, in the last 12 months, and we're getting ready to do our new one. And there are people who are coming here on a Sunday now who are, who've, who are coming because they've done Alpha, and they're here in the midst. And I want to encourage you, like, look around. Take notice of faces you don't recognize. Get to know people. Invite them into a group that you're a part of. It's powerful. It's necessary. And it's actually what enriches us as a community. The second observation I want to make briefly about this is um, from the passage is in verse 2 of chapter 13. And it reads this. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This was a church that actually embraced and understood the, the importance of spending time in worship together. They were people who embraced the practices of prayer and fasting. They understood that when time was set aside to worship God and to seek him out, he would speak to them and he would initiate you know, just to give a little bit of context for this, the, some of the commentaries um, that speak about this passage, they, they indicate that when it came to the fasting and prayer, that at this time it was perhaps most likely in a response to some kind of proposal or a request for particular guidance. Um, and that's to do with the Greek word day that was used in the, um, about the Spirit's directive in that, in that verse, verse 2 there. But the... Um, the context of this was that they were, they were seeking out God to know what, he was, what was in his heart for them as a people. They were looking for, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you speaking about? They understood that what it was to be in, in God's presence and the Holy Spirit to be present with them, that they're in those places, that's where God comes and turns and activates them and speaks to them. You know, our Lord's, one of our vision statements is to do with worship, and it's to do with how um, we are intentional about making space to encounter God's active presence together. And there's a, uh, there's a number of verses that come alongside of that. Um, but the, one, of the verses that, uh, one of the verses is in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. And uh, it was interesting for me this morning as we're in worship and uh, we're leading, Brad is leading a song and at the end of the worship he's, he's essentially singing and speaking about these verses. And I didn't know he was going to do that this morning. So 
I'm feeling encouraged that the Lord maybe wants us to catch hold of something. And if you could just pop up um, that verse for us. I want to read it and just encourage us with a few words about what it means to be a people who worship in this kind of way. So, so this is verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you enter into worship expecting to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's not a trick question. The long silence was to check you were still awake, so, yeah, I'm just kidding. Do you, it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing if you're saying, uh, I don't know, or no, no. That's just a question to recognize what is your expectation about when you worship. One of the things that this passage does is it describes kind of some of the experiences of what worship looks like. But it begins with, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to meet us as we gather together and as we worship, and he wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants, to, he wants you and I to gather together knowing that we have a privileged place of being able to step right in what the Old Testament called the Holy of Holies, that place where only one person used to be able to go right into the center of God's presence and experience him. We have that privilege Every time we wake up in the morning, every time you gather together, when you worship in small groups or when you worship here on a Sunday, we're invited into this place with God. You can be filled with His Spirit. You can be overwhelmed with an awareness of, oh my gosh, God is here. He is real. This is the invitation that we have when we come to worship. This is what God wants to do. It's actually not selfish. Sometimes we can, there's a line of thinking that can go, well, we don't want to make worship about us and just about getting our own needs met. We don't do that. That's not how we worship. You know, Psalm 100 uh, verse 4 speaks about how we enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. We come in, we start worship from the place of, no matter how I'm feeling, God, you're worth it. You're worthy of my worship, whether I'm feeling great or terrible. You've not changed. You're still the same good God. And that's our position as we come into worship. We start there. We come in from that place, regardless of how we feel. But you know there's this amazing promise. You remember the exchange that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 23? What did he say to her? He said, one day my worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So if you think... Declaring praise, declaring truth about who God is, is where we begin with worship. We don't get to stay. We don't have to stay there. Where we get to enter into is that suddenly there's this dynamic where the Holy Spirit starts to get involved with the truth that we're declaring. And what happens then is suddenly we start to become, oh, something's going on. Something's shifting in me. Something is changing. And that's the dynamic. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit that we have now is that he comes to us and he interacts with us in this place and he brings us into that. And I just want to say a quick point about this. (laughs) 
This is, we, I, think, I think God wants us to learn how to pay attention to when the Holy Spirit is leading us in worship. And I think there's a corporate thing that happens with people who lead us, um, but there's also an individual thing. So I'll let you into a little secret, and I really don't want to say this, um, but I'm going to, because I think I need to. There are things sometimes that the Lord will nudge you to do in worship as part of your expression of worship because he wants to bring you into that closer place of intimacy with him. And this can be any number of things. This is not about one or two different things you can do. Um, Sometimes it's just about being still. Sometimes it's about listening and stopping singing and just paying attention and listening to what's going on in your heart. Sometimes it's about kneeling. Sometimes it's about lying on the floor, raising your hands, whatever it might be. But the Lord has been speaking to me about dancing. And I really don't like that idea very much. And uh, Bethany is a great dancer. love to watch Bethany dance. And she inspires me, actually, when she worships God that way. But, you know, he's been on my case about it. And I, I've been walking with Jesus long enough to know now that if I keep ignoring it, when I keep getting that prod, uh, it's, it, it's probably him. And uh, I don't honestly really know why he wants me to dance. But I know that there are times when he's asking me, will you do it? And on the times that I have done it, there is this experience of intimacy with God that begins to take place in my heart. And I can feel stuff lifting off me. And I can feel the, the freedom start to come of connecting with God. And if I may be so bold as to suggest, I think what God wants to do in worship with us is that he wants us to orientate with him in thanksgiving. He wants us to step into places of intimacy with him where we're suddenly aware of the spirit with us. And then he wants to encounter us. And that's where he wants to change us. That's where he speaks. That's where he wants to do something that only he can do, the infilling of the spirit. And I think if we're a people who are brave enough to step into that place where we let the Holy Spirit lead us, that's, the lead, that's when we lead into the places of encounter, when we get filled with the Spirit, and God does something that is only uniquely he, His to do. Am I making sense? And I want to encourage us to be a community like that. And it's a journey. It's not about um, suddenly rushing to a point of trying to perform and do something. It's about being a people who know and understand that when we say yes to the Holy Spirit in our place of worship and allow him to lead us, that we can expect him to activate. We can expect him to speak. We can expect him to move. The context in Acts 13 is about two people being sent on mission. God speaks to the community in that place of worship and says, set them apart and send them. For us, that can be any number of things. There may be a commissioning that God wants to do with you today that's to do with your life right here in Oklahoma City. It may be some of the prophetic words that were shared this morning is activating something in you in a way that you haven't known before. It may be that there's something that God just wants to, you to experience with him that means that you are full of the Spirit in a way that you weren't before. And we're out of time. That's all right. But would you guys pray with me just as we finish? And I want to invite you to uh, respond to the Lord. I want to ask you to be, uh, you know, encountering the Lord and experiencing the Lord is not just about um, a certain kind of experience. It really doesn't matter what goes on on the outside. It's what goes on on the inside that matters. 
And I think as we learn to be people who, uh, as we are people who learn how to receive the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, we then start to become a community of people who do these things naturally that we see in Acts 13, that have an impact, that learn how to grow and how to welcome people in and learn how to train and send and equip many people so they step into their gifting. So if that makes sense to you and you want the Lord to do something in you, um, why don't you just stand right now? No pressure to stand if you don't want to. Um, Just want to encourage you. If we have, I know we're at 12 o'clock, but if the ministry team, if you guys would just come down and be available. And if you would like anyone to pray with you this morning about anything, anything to do with what's been happening, or you've come with a different set of circumstances and you know there's something you'd like prayer about, please come and receive. There's also communion available as well, which Ronnie is serving here to my left and to your right. And you can use that as a way of responding. But I'm going to pray. Brock, if you have anything, just, you're good. Okay. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you're here. And we thank you that you are here. And we invite you to come right now and to fill us, just as it says in your word. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Come right now, Holy Spirit. Come and break into this place in this time right now in new ways. We just, we give you permission right now. We just, we, we open our hearts to you and we say we need you. We want to be a people who are full of your spirit, God. Come and help us, Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth. Counsel us. Meet us in our places of pain. Some of you are carrying things that are painful right now. And I just sense the Lord wants to meet you right now in this moment. Come as you are. He's here already. Holy Spirit, come into those places. I pray you'd come and you would lift burdens. You would, um, you would bring comfort to those who are hurting physically and emotionally. Right now, Holy Spirit, come. Just let him come. Just sh- if this is you, this is a moment. Just shut off from people around you just for a moment and just say, Lord, I'm here. You know what it is. Lord, I need you. Some of you are carrying burdens that you've been carrying a long time. I just sense this is a moment. Let him come to you. He's kind. He's gentle. He knows what you need before you even ask for it. For others, there's an activation. Some of you are already stepping into it. You're already responding to things that the Lord has shown you to do. But some of you, it may be this morning that you you know that there's, uh, there's a response that he's asking from you. That he's been whispering something and he wants to activate you this morning. So Holy Spirit, come and fill those people this, that are here this morning. Come and fill. Um, I pray for a commissioning <laughs> for those of you who are uh, sensing the Lord stirring you for, um, 
missional activities, taking risks in leadership. If you're receiving where you are right now, um, please.